So how many of you would love to have the energy, the enthusiasm, the excitement, the curiosity of a five-year-old? I know I would. It's amazing. These little energy dynamos. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hear a little knock on my door. And when I opened it, there was Reverend Joanne's granddaughter and her husband, Gary. I looked down and she goes, Hi! I'm Zoe, and I'm three years old. And she immediately began to look beyond me to see what was there in the house. She looked through the rooms, out through the trees in the back. And then as she came in, she started looking and was curious about everything. I noticed that she was looking at the juicer in the kitchen, so I picked her up and we went over and I said, well, this is our juicer. We, we make juice out of this. And I take carrots, and I put them in here. And I take celery, and I put them in here. And I put a glass under here, and that's where the juice comes. And she's looking at wow. And as I'm saying this, she's looking out the kitchen window, and she sees out there on the deck a tub. And that tub is full of organic soil and herbs. And she says, what is that? And she goes, oh. So... Let's go out and take a look at the herbs. So I tell her, well, these are the chives. We cut a lot of those, and we put those in our salad. And you can smell the basil. The basil is really stunning. And she was just taking it all in, totally in the moment, totally disconnected from why they were there in the first place. And then they came to get a tree trunk, not thinking about where they were going to go when they left. She was there, dedicated to the experience that she was having, without all the noise. A couple weeks ago, I was at Great Northern, and I was sitting, waiting for my wife, Jerry, to finish up her haircut. And I noticed a young mother with her daughter walking by, and the daughter was maybe four or five. And I noticed her shoes was untied. And as she walked by, I said, your shoe's untied. And the mother stopped and tied her shoe. And then they kept walking. And they walked, the little girl was walking away, walking away. And then she stopped and she turned. And she looked me right in the eyes. And she gave me this big smile. And she did this. Connected with life through the heart. For millennium, Ayurvedic teachings, and now all the way up to heart math, we know that inside of us, we have this incredible heart energy, this energy essence. It's not the physical heart, it's below and behind. But those two were both operating from the heart. You could feel that energy. You could see it in their eyes, in their curiosity, in their enthusiasm. So where are they? Well, Eckhart Tolle would say, and there's a new earth or the power of now. They're in the now. They're in the moment. Mary O'Malley 
he wrote, what's in the way is the way, would say, they're in the meadow. Jesus Christ would say, they're in the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become like them, you will never experience it. They're all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about being here and directly in the moment. Not thinking about it, but experiencing it. A place where time doesn't exist. A place where the noise in the head stops. A place where you're open to whatever is coming your way. A place where there is acceptance and love and enthusiasm and joy. Just like the kids. So why don't we always experience that all the time? Well, sometimes we do. We may have these fleeting experiences that come, they feel really great, and they go. I was talking with Ed Asner in the men's group a couple months ago, and he told me a story about a hummingbird. And he said he was sitting in his backyard, and he was just enjoying it, just being quiet, settled down. And he saw a hummingbird in his backyard, and it really got his attention and full attention and pulled him into that moment. He held out his hand, and the hummingbird came and sat on his shoulder. And I asked him, I said, so Ed, how was, what was that experience like? Was the voice in the head talking? No. Were you thinking about what you were going to do later? No. Were you in the moment? Was there anything else other than you and that hummingbird? So we have those experiences as adults, even though we have gone this journey from operating from within the heart into a conceptual world that is the world of the mind. I was at a book study about Mary O'Malley's book, What's in the Way Is the Way. And Reverend Dana, who was leading the study, said, who has had experiences of the meadow? Because that's what Mary O'Malley calls it. And I was not particularly surprised, but three different people talked about their experience with their young children or grandchildren. Where they came into an interaction with them where they were totally devoted to that experience. Where that youngster took them on a journey that they didn't know where it was going. They weren't thinking about the to-do list, the things that they had to get done for the rest of the day. They were there feeling from the heart the love that they had for that child. And in that, that's all that there was. So we have those moments. So what happened? How did we get from five years old, or four years old, full of energy, enthusiasm, excitement, operating from the heart to a place where we don't feel that as much. Part of it has to do with language. Very early on, our parents start trying to teach us how to talk. 
And when you think about it, a word is nothing more than a combination of vowel sounds, and we've got five of those, and we've got 21 consonants that are nothing more than pushing air. And we label everything out in our world in these little word boxes. And in doing so, we steal the essence of the object. If I tell you what an orange tastes like, I'd say, well, it's, it's sweet, it's juicy, when you bite into it, the flavor explodes into your mouth. You're not going to know what an orange tastes like. But I would give you an orange and let you take it and put it in your mouth. All it takes is biting down into that orange and there's the experience. It's not a thought about the experience. Because a thought about the experience is nothing more than the inside narrating what your experience is instead of you being connected with that experience. Zen Master once said, you can say the word water as many times as you want and you'll never be wet. Those kids are wet. We're busy talking about water. So, there's language, but then there's the development of the self-image. You've got a collection of all these experiences that we experience as we're growing up. Thoughts, emotions, beliefs, that we kind of cobble together to build this construct, this mental construct, which becomes our lens through, through which we view the world. Now, many of the stories that we put together are our interpretation of what's happening out there. Sometimes, I, I mean, I have an identical twin brother. We have the exact same genetics. My genes and his genes are exactly the same. And some of the experiences that we had, we shared. I mean, we were there at the same time, being the same experience. But each of us came away with a different story about it, a different set of emotions about it, a different belief system about it. Sometimes the stories come from other people, and we tacitly accept them. Don Miguel Ruiz gives a, a perfect example of that in The Four Agreements. He tells a story about a young mother who dearly loves her daughter, and her daughter is just full of energy, loves to sing and dance. One day, mom has a terrible day at work. Nothing goes right. And by the end of the day, she's got a headache, and she just wants some peace and quiet. She comes home, and her daughter is being herself. She's laughing and dancing and singing louder and louder, and finally, the mother forgets herself and says, Shut up! Can you just be quiet? Your voice is ugly. What a terrible story. You can feel the energy in the room drop when you say that. She incorporated that story and stopped singing. So sometimes that power of the word can cause us to incorporate stories from other people about us that become part of our belief system. We may feel that we're not enough, that we can't do it right, that all those shoulds about what we should be and shouldn't be Now, when you look at that, 
those stories have an emotional component with them. Because when we paint this picture in our head with words, something happens in our body as we're experiencing that. And that's the emotional component of it. It's the physiology of it. You may feel a tightness in your gut. You may feel queasy. If it's something that's positive, you may feel exhilarated as your body dumps all its cortisone into the body and you, you really get revved up. Your endocrine system just dumps all those chemicals in there and you react. The yogis call those samskaras, those energies, that emotional energy that goes into the system. They call it a samskara when it gets locked into the tissues. In order to protect ourselves as we're growing up, if there is something that is overwhelming or it's just too much, instead of the, letting that energy pass through the heart like the young ones do, we push away. And that energy gets buried in our tissues. The yogis call it a, a bio-memory. And that reinforces the conceptual picture of life that we have. Now, Mary O'Malley calls that conglomeration of stories, beliefs, thoughts. She says it manifests as the storyteller. Eckhart Tolle calls it the mind-made me. And he gives us, he says, you know, we are the only species on this planet that have a mind-made me. And he talks about, if you notice two ducks and they're fighting, they get done with the fight, they turn, they wag their tails, and they're done. Now, if these ducks were like humans, they'd get done with the fight, they'd wag their tails, and then they'd be thinking, I can't believe he came into my space like this. Boy, next time he does, I'll give him. We're the only ones that do that. So, we are creating a world that keeps putting all of these samskara, all this energy into us. Now, I'd like you to be part of a, a demonstration. Uh, it happens better if you're standing, but if standing isn't available to you, then just sit. What are we going to do? We're going to do a very short segment of a Qigong practice. So, if you would stand with me. Now, how many of you remember the Good and Plenty commercials years ago? I'm really dating myself. Where, ah, there are some of you out there where they would go, Good and Plenty, Good and Plenty, Good and You know, just like a locomotive. Well, this particular portion of the Qigong exercise is called locomotive. So what I want you to do is we're just going to move the hands like a locomotive. I'll tell you when to start. Not yet. <laughs> Such a great audience. <laughs> and then after a while, it tells us to stop. So if you're ready, you can take your hands out. And let's begin.
how many of you counted how many times the hand touched? Anybody? Okay, no counting. Do you wonder when we were going to stop? Because the voice in the head said, when are we going to stop? Dad, are we almost there? Kind of thing. Did you wonder how many thoughts of, what is this all about? This is kind of crazy. The thought, the narrator in the head narrates your experience. You can sit down. But I wanted to to give you that experience. And, and the real question is, was there anybody that only felt the hand moving? That had no narration whatsoever? That possibly felt the energy, the motion, the relationship between the hands without labeling it, just experiencing it? For those of you that experienced that, you were in the moment. You weren't in the mind made me. This mind made me is pretty noisy in the head. It constantly narrates everything that you experience out there. And it has an opinion about everything. It tends to be very judging, not only of others, but of yourself. It's always thinking about what needs to be done next. There is never enough. You may have a momentary lapse of peace where you achieve something and it feels great. But then you begin to come back into it, wanting more. So there's this constant separation from experience, this constant separation from just allowing the flow of life to manifest before you. Now, there are different ways that we can approach moving back from that mind-made that conceptual framework, that constant narration, back into experiencing life as it's unfolding. Mary O'Malley talked about unhooking the stories those stories that have been buried in our tissues, that energy, the more and more of these we have, the more energy it takes from outside to keep work going. So the less we have, the more we begin to move back into experience. She suggests being curious about what's going on. Watch your thoughts. See what they're saying, recognizing that you're not them, but it's just a narrator in the head. Allow yourself to be separate from them and come into experience. Because the more we give our world, our attention, our devoted attention, the more that gap between experience and the moment narrows. And we begin to get to a place where there is no time. There is no expectation. There is no thinking about what happened in the past with breath, thinking about what's going to happen in the future. And she offers a meditation. She has a practice where she allows people 
to guide him into paying attention to the breath. Because he's watching the breath cycle. And as they watch the breath cycle, everything begins to settle down. And it will begin to come inward. And she says, after you've done that for a while, you may find that different thoughts, feelings, emotions, stories bubble up. And you're just thinking them. She said, be curious about those. And you want to hold those in compassionate attention. Hold those in your heartstrings. And in doing so, you you do it without expectation of change, with not wanting anything to be different, just allowing that energy to experience the love and compassion that you are. And in doing that, you begin to release that energy. She said it's kind of like champagne bubbles. And it reminded me of transcendental meditation because in meditation, you use a mantra and that holds the mind awake. But the mind naturally is drawn down and then thoughts bubble up. Well, in TM, they say, well, that's releasing stress. Well, what is the stress? It's that locked-in energy. Now, there's also, and Mary O'Malley talks about this too, there is radical acceptance. And in this radical acceptance, you make an agreement with yourself to be open to whatever is coming, whether or not it is joy or sorrow, whether or not it is difficult or easy, to allow it to exist and allow yourself to experience and allow that energy to go through you so that it doesn't become a samskara, locked in your cushion. And I'd like to close with a poem from Rumi that is exactly about that radical acceptance. The guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor, welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows, who violently sweep your house, emptying of its furniture, still treat them, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. In your bulletin, you will notice a copy of the guest house. And I would encourage you this week to put it on your bedside table. And when you awake in the morning, read it, think about it, feel it in your heart. 
and open yourself. Allow yourself to commit to opening yourself to the experiences that you have in the day. Just like your five-year-old grandchildren or daughters or sons. And you'll find that your life will be richer. Thank you.